You're listening to. Welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. And my name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here for our final mid month check in for 2022, uh, where we go over the latest Asian American book and publishing news for you. Uh, Rira, we've made it to the end of the year. Yes. How do you feel? The end of 2022. Somehow it was very slow. But very fast. So <laughs> that's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, it's probably the first full year where we didn't necessarily feel confined to our homes, even though I did spend a lot of time at home. But yeah, you're right. Like a lot of things happen and then nothing happened. And I feel like next year will probably be more of the same, to be honest, um, especially with, you know, I mean, COVID's not over. And I've had multiple holiday events this week. Get canceled or derailed because of someone testing positive. So, you know, we're still living with it. Yeah. Um, a couple days ago, I went to Disneyland and I was just shocked by so many people who did not have masks on. And, you know, <laughs> they had like infants and toddlers. And I'm like, do you not care about the safety of your children? I kept my mask on the entire time. And like, whenever I ate something, I like found like a <laughs> desolate corner somewhere like a like a mouse <laughs> so. i mean neither of us are parents so i can't speak to what they actually think but I, I get the feeling from my friends who are parents that they just they just have a fatalistic view on things because as a parent of young children you're gonna get sick your kids bring home so many germs from wherever they go they're sticking their hands in your mouth um so you know at some point you just have to say if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Um, and at the very least, my friends are fully vaxxed. So, you know, hopefully it just, it'll just be mild for them. But I've, st- I've, I've had had a couple of people that I know get like knocked out. So, you know, you, you still never know. When it's scary, it's still scary. I mean, my uh, youngest brother, he got COVID from school. <laughs> so... Uh, it was he he got it like pretty bad. He had to like go to the hospital a couple of times to like uh, get some serious checkups. But oh. yeah, um, besides COVID stuff, uh, the last couple of months, a lot of companies have been going on strike. Uh, today, uh, the San Francisco Macy's headquarters, they're going oh, on wow. strike on uh, Christmas Eve. The busiest day of uh, the company. I mean, if you want to bring attention to your cause, this is the way because, um, you know, retail has been down for the last few years. So uh, that's yeah, that's that's ballsy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, I heard about it this morning and I was like, (laughs) dang, well, props to them because we are pro union on this show. And speaking of union, we will update you guys all on the HarperCollins union strike. Still ongoing Uh, after like still ongoing. It's day 27. No word from HarperCollins. Well, we'll talk more about that in a bit. But as always, we start off our mid-month check-in with the latest publishing updates uh, from Asian and Asian American authors. Uh, we're still omitting our HarperCollins news, right? Yes, we are. Okay. 
Um, and I think Publishers Weekly is also doing the same mm. because as I was uh, looking through their listing, it seemed like uh, they were missing a lot of HarperCollins books. So I was <laughs> like, hmm, okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's because all the publishers are on strike. Yeah, maybe. And not submitting those. Uh, um, yeah, the uh, submissions have stalled and uh, <laughs> there aren't any, uh, which is good. It makes, uh, you know, like it's nice that industry folks are supporting the strike, even though they're not part of HarperCollins. But yeah, let's get started with our first deal. Um, Rira, do you want to get started? Yeah, sure. So our first book deal is Simon & Schuster's imprint Beach Lane Books acquired Shell Song, a family history-based picture book by author-illustrator Sharon Fujimoto Johnson. When a girl's Japanese-American grandfather is unjustly arrested and sent to an incarceration camp in Hawaii during World War II, collecting seashells becomes a source of comfort and hope for him, his family, and future generations. Publication is scheduled for spring 2025. I like that in the description, it's just straight up, it's unjust, right? Because I feel like for a lot of people, they still feel like incarceration, like Japanese American incarceration was like a necessary evil, which is total bullshit, right? I mean, it. I'm happy that more uh, children's books and uh, young adult books are exploring that time where uh Japanese Americans were sent to incarceration camps. But it like saddens me that like so many of those books are getting banned. And uh, it just seems like a lot of public schools that are not on the West Coast, they're not covering it at all. They're not covering um, the the injustices that the Japanese Americans faced. So, yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, a little America a little bleak. <laughs> surely America couldn't have done anything wrong in its long history of slavery, colonialism, imperialism. Um, yeah, like we mentioned, stories about this time period um, is still very few and far between, even though it's a major event in specifically Asian and Japanese American history. So always love to have more stories. Okay, next up, Worthy Kids Bought World Rights to an Untitled Picture Book by Sane Ishid. The picture book follows a girl with very big feelings who finds a creative outlet when her mother reminds her of her namesake and the history of Sashiko, the Japanese practice of mending clothes through decorative embroidery. Publication is planned for winter 2024. I've uh, heard of Sashiko, the um, like the art of like mending clothes through decorative embroidery. I think you use like patches of old cloth to like mend it with like the new uh, clothing. So it's very fascinating. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of these Japanese domestic skills that are like specialist skills, like artisan skills in in Japanese culture, like um like tree trimming and flower arrangement. I'm not familiar with this practice, but I'm it's really cool that you know we have picture books to teach not only not only Japanese diaspora children about um, their culture, but also like kids in general about specifics about Japanese culture. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it will make a beautiful uh, picture book, <laughs> considering that embroidery, anytime I see it, I'm like, man, I wish I had that skill. <laughs> I know we are in an era where women are kind of looked down upon for uh, hanging on to domestic skills. I was like, I don't know. I kind of wish that I knew how to sew and <laughs> embroider 
I mean, but when you make an art. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to be forced into it just because, <laughs> you know, it's like a housework yeah. uh, requirement. Anyway, next up, in an exclusive submission, Disney and Rick Riordan Presents acquired two untitled YA horror novels by Judy I. Lin, the author of A Magic Steeped in Poison. Pulling from the darkest corners of Taiwanese folklore and urban legend, the first story follows a Taiwanese-Canadian teenager in Vancouver's Chinatown who gets caught up in an epic battle of monsters, power, and destiny as she fights to save her sister from possession by an otherworldly evil spirit publication is slated for october 2024 man judy is killing it she was also in our last uh mid-month episode uh, book deals i mean this is judy's wheelhouse right like um fantasy chinese traditions and world building and i'm really excited to see what she brings to the table um this time yeah it uh, sounds really cool and epic yeah all right, next up, first second acquired at auction, Michelle Wong's debut YA graphic novel, Terminal Hope. For fans of Marissa Meyer and Marie Lu, the graphic novel is about an orphan teen who must team up with a rogue android to survive the underbelly of mankind's last remaining sanctuary and thwart city enforcers when he becomes a target for powers he unwillingly received. Publication is scheduled for 2026. Love a good story about rebelling against cops and special powers. Yeah, um, I love books with, you know, androids as well. Um, <laughs> it's, always, it's always really fun. I mean, I think that's just because I grew up with anime, like Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like uh, Cyborg 007. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, congrats to Michelle on her debut. All right, next up, in a preempt, Simon & Schuster acquired world rights to ALA Asian Pacific American Award for literature winner Jane Park's picture book, Outside Mom, Inside Mom. Illustrated by Lenny Wen, the book is a celebration of code switching in which a boy discovers how his mother's personality and his own shine differently when they feel comfortable enough to be their fullest selves. Publication is slated for fall 2024. Ooh, code switching. Yeah, I mean, that's a concept that, at least for me, I didn't learn until later in life. And so I think teaching this concept to kids early on will probably do a lot to like teach them about something that they're probably already doing unconsciously, right? Yeah, and I love how it's also about the mom code switching because I feel like, uh, you know, as children of immigrant parents, we don't get to see our parents be their full selves. We see them as our parents. So when we see them with, like, other friends or whatnot, like, they become totally different people. <laughs> so it's uh, it's interesting. And I'm glad that this picture book is going to explore that a little bit. All right. Our next deal. For six figures, Delray preempted world English rights to Molly X. Chang's To Gaze Upon Wicked Gods and two other books in a planned trilogy. To Gaze Upon Wicked Gods is set in a Chinese fantasy world that has been colonized by a scientifically advanced Roman Empire. Its heroine is a young woman blessed with the power of death who fights to survive while protecting those she loves. Then her magic is discovered by an enemy prince, and she must decide if saving her family is worth betraying her country. The novel is set for release in 2024. Wow. That's a lot of world building in like a few sentences. Um, do you think we'll get like 
future Greek gods in this? Like, are, are there, I mean, gods are in the title, right? So we're definitely getting like deities, right? Um, Possibly. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, um, I want to know. I know that there's crossovers with like Roman gods and Greek gods. So <laughs> um, I don't know. But I do like the fact that it is about colonization once again. <laughs> I also wonder, will she and this enemy prince kiss? These are the questions I ask when I see a um, fantasy story about an enemy prince. Glad to know that you have your priorities straight, Marvin. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next up. Bloomsbury bought debut author Kelsey Yu's YA thriller, It's Only a Game. Marina Chan and her friends are blackmailed into playing a video game with deadly consequences that forces them to lie, trespass, and steal in real life. But the deeper into the game they get, the more Marina realizes that whoever is pulling the strings knows too much about the past she's trying to leave behind. Publication is set for spring 2024. I like the title. It's only a game. Yeah, it reminds me of the game, um, that Michael Douglas movie, which, you know, it's about Michael Douglas' character playing like essentially a LARP game that gets a little too real. Um but this time it's like a bunch of friends and it sounds really thrilling. Yeah. Um, I wonder, because it says they have to do things in uh, real life. It, it reminds me of a lot of video games that made you like wait in real time for missions to show up. Um, like I, I remember there was a game in my childhood where um, you literally had to wait until the next day in order to proceed with the mission. And then there have been other games where um, you have to go outside to complete the mission. It was supposed to, like, encourage kids to actually go outside (laughs) and to stop playing video games for 24 hours straight. Yeah. uh, It kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. But true gamers know that you can just set the game clock one day forward and just skip that whole thing. Oh, yeah. I totally did that for (laughs) Animal Crossing. (laughs) But, yeah, this sounds really fun. I love books about uh, video games, obviously total geek here yeah and um yeah it kind of sounds like there's like similar stakes as in like the hunger games you know <laughs> i mean i don't think it's a death game is it and no it's not a death <laughs> game but it's it's like oh the stakes are serious it's not just a game yeah. even though the title of the book is called it's only a game <laughs> very clever all right next up Arctis Books USA acquired the picture book Little Sisters, written and illustrated by Tomomura, translated from its original French by Nanette McGuinness. In only child daydreams about having one and then many little sisters and all the fun they can have together. Uh, Publication is scheduled for spring 2024. This sounds like a good Uh, book to give to a kid about to become an older sibling. Um, I was about to say, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Were you happy that, you know, you eventually got a sibling um i don't remember my mom's pregnancy that much i do remember um throwing it wasn't exactly a tantrum but i faked an arm injury in the hospital when my mom was giving birth to my brother oh for the attention (laughs) i do Uh, i do remember that because i received a big bird doll as compensation (laughs) wow bribery um, yeah, there are kids who are really excited to have siblings, and I don't think I was one of them. <laughs> um, like, my mom tells me that, like, at the beginning of, um, like, the first couple days that my younger brother uh, was brought home 
I would like hide him in closets <laughs> and like random places. <laughs> Uh, but after like the first week or so, she said, oh, you were like the bestest older sister, like <laughs> to care of your brother, like really well. And I was like, I think by that point, I accepted my fate that uh, this baby is stuck with me forever. <laughs> so <laughs> might as well deal with him. I think the transition uh, bef- between having all of your parents attention and sharing it is it is tough, right? Especially if you're young. Like I was only two when, when my brother was born. So um I'm sure I was not the most happy about it. Oh. I mean, terrible twos and whatnot. <laughs> yep. All right. Next up, Delacorte Press bought debut author Keshi Chow's The Girl with No Reflection. Inspired by Chinese folklore, this dark YA fantasy follows a young woman who travels to the royal palace for her betrothal to the crown prince, only to discover an eerie parallel world existing in secret within the palace mirrors and a host of living reflections dwelling inside it. Publication is planned for summer 2024. I feel like you and I are both fans of like the supernatural Chinese folklore with court intrigue. Um, oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this sounds pretty amazing. I think the parallel dimension thing works because, like, the Chinese, like, underworld is pretty bureaucratic. <laughs> if you remember from reading books like The Ghost Bride, it's, it's a lot of court officials and queuing and ministers. And so uh, it being, like, a mirror of a real-life palace is, like, it's pretty fitting. Yeah, and there's a supernatural element to mirrors across cultures. Uh, In some cultures, mirrors are used to um, summon the dead, summon spirits. It's also used to trap spirits. Um, And also in like literary works, they're used as uh, portals to other worlds, um, like Alice in Wonderland or A Way to See the Future, like Lord of the Rings. So, yeah. Just, Just the most versatile literary device, mirrors. Yes, yes. (laughs) All right. Um, Our next deal. Union Square Kids acquired in a preempt Rhonda Romani's middle grade novel, Tagging Freedom. The story follows a 13-year-old Syrian graffiti artist at the beginning of the Syrian revolution who, after a close call with the secret police, is sent to live with his Syrian-American cousin in a small town in Massachusetts. Together, they discover the power of activism and the courage it takes to stand up for freedom of speech everywhere. Publication is planned for fall 2023. Yes, we love stories about young activists. This is just a fresh prince, right? <laughs> like, I guess <laughs> the fresh. Prince I guess we don't know. Like, I guess the cousin isn't like a rich judge, um, but um, this this is definitely like got in a fight. Mom got scared. <laughs> sent him to his cousin in probably the the suburbs of Boston or something. Um, it is kind of funny that the family thinks the cops are less aggro in America. Um, no, definitely. <laughs> but I like the fact that art is being used as a way to, um, you know, rebel and to be an activist. I feel like people um, undermine a lot of artists being like, what are you going to do with uh, with all that art? You're not going to be able to change the world or make money, but... <laughs> In reality, art can do a lot of good. So I'm really glad that um, we see that aspect in this book. Yeah. And in such a, and in a middle grade book too. I love how it's like in the eyes of a 13 year old. 
All right. Next up, Dial bought world rights to Little Bird Layla, written by Asian Pacific American Award for Literature winner Kelly Yang and illustrated by Shindi Yan. The picture book shows how Layla acts as a translator for her parents who speak Chinese and how she begins to teach them English as well. Publication is set for summer 2024 with Nancy Mercado editing. You know, it's about time children of immigrants get this type of representation um, as the official translator for their parents. <laughs> um, I yeah. was lucky that my father is actually pretty fluent in English, so I didn't have to do this for my parents. But I know plenty of friends who this is their job to like call the cable company for their parents. Yeah, I I am that child. I book doctor appointments for uh, for my family and also sign school papers. That was the thing that uh, like as soon as my youngest brother went to school because we have a huge age gap, I was pretty much the parent like going to student uh, going to like parent teacher conferences and uh, translating for my mom while she was while she was there. So yeah, this is an experience that a lot of us <laughs> go through. Yeah. Um, but my dad was also, uh, I mean, he, I wouldn't say he's like perfectly fluent, but he is like fluent enough um, that I talk to him in English. So um, at least I had I had it halfway easy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for me though, uh, my dad also traveled a lot for work. So for much of the year, I was just me and my mom, and so and so I. Guess I did have to translate for her as well. Um, it's one of the things we can all relate to is explaining um, not only like I feel like it's not only um, English but also like American culture to our parents. Like that's another. Like, oh, I yeah. think that's the next level is <laughs> explaining why prom exists or like why why I need to stay after school to do extracurriculars that isn't studying for the SAT. Yeah, and I love how this story also says that the child teaches her parents English, and I'm <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what immigrant yeah. parent is willing to sit through their kid teaching them English? I feel like they're very, you know, they're they have a yeah, lot of pride. That's kind of that's kind of fantasy to me, but <laughs> I'm sure this is sure. wishful thinking. Oh <laughs> uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of immigrant parents would prefer to just take night classes or like online classes rather than learn from their child because it puts them in a power like <laughs> a, a power loss. You know, the dynamic is is you know, tilted. Maybe Kelly Yang's plan is to have adults read this book to children as a way for both of them to learn English, and then helping to like tamp down that pride. You know? Yeah, you need to meet us halfway, okay? <laughs> It's so hard doing like translation for, um, you know, both sides. So yeah, a lot of the times, like I have to ask my mom, like, why do Koreans do this? <laughs> so, you know, it would be a lot easier if she spoke uh, English fluently. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I hope that this encourages parents as well to meet their children halfway and, you know, to take time to, you know, learn. Yeah. All right. Uh, our next deal, Kids Can Press bought world rights to What Lolo Wants, written by Christina Oxtra and illustrated by Jamie Bauza. Maria loves to spend her days drawing with her grandfather Lolo. 
But when Lolo begins to forget things, Maria must come up with a creative way to figure out what Lolo wants. Publication is slated for fall 2024. Oh, it sounds like the grandfather is going through dementia or uh, Alzheimer's. Yeah, which is a pretty, it's a hard thing to deal with and only gets harder. I mean, I, I love that this book is about taking care of your elders and like not becoming frustrated with them, like kind of being proactive in figuring out how to better interact and take care of them. Um, I feel like the flip side of like children immigrant experience that we mentioned in the last book is like a lot of times we do get frustrated with our parents and our grandparents for, you know, not understanding things. Yeah. And I also love the fact that, uh, you know, Maria uses drawing, which is a shared activity that, you know, she does with her grandfather. Again, art is used for good in this instance. All right. Next up, in an exclusive submission, Random House Studio acquired world rights to Noodles on a Bicycle by Kyo McClear. The book will be illustrated by Ezra Jack Keats Illustrator Award winner Gracie Zhang. This picture book follows Tokyo's bicycle food deliverers, the Demae, who balance towering trays of steaming hot noodles on their shoulders while navigating crowded city streets. Publication is set for fall 2024. Speaking of like Japanese skills, I feel like <laughs> it's it's the type of thing where it's like there's no practical reason they need to or should be doing this, but they do because it's just what they do and they're really, really good at it. Yeah, I think it will make a really good picture book with lovely illustrations. I mean, like this sounds like a skill that is very... uh visually pleasing <laughs> i just like i feel bad for them like reading the the description I'm like mm. like you can just hire more workers and not have to deliver them all at once right you should demand better working conditions my man again we're pro-union on this <laughs> podcast well um, that is our roundup of uh december's book deals and i guess we're gonna briefly recap on the Harper Collins strike. It is day 27 and no word from um, the executives. And as of this moment right now, Babel author Arhef Kwang and Molly McGee are co-hosting the rally outside Harper Collins headquarters in New York at 195 Broadway. And um, it's a pretty big turnout from what I'm seeing on Twitter. The rally, it comes after um, HarperCollins CEO Brian Murray. He released an open letter to the authors and agents who are um, on strike right now. And he said that the contract demands made by the union, which are many and far reaching, failed to account for the market dynamics of the publishing industry and our responsibility to meet the financial demands of all our business stakeholders, including all employees, authors and booksellers. So pretty much he's accusing the union of, I guess, like mislabeling, mischaracterizing the negotiations they've been making with the company. Uh, pretty much saying that the demands that they are making, which is pretty much we want a living wage for our skilled work, is uh, unreasonable. Yeah, and I mean, that they did not try to negotiate, which is totally false. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when they say 
when the guy says stakeholders, he means investors and stockholders and board of directors, which means, yeah, if we pay you more, that means our stakeholders get less, which, you know, they probably should. I mean, the whole the whole distribution of profits is probably already pretty skewed. And so what the union is asking for isn't like pay us more so you can make the same. It's like, let's have some equity here. Let's redistribute and make sure that everyone gets a fair shake and you can still make your money. You're still, you'll still make your money. Um, but maybe you can stand to make a little less. And the thing with like the way that capitalism works and the way corporations work is making less money is like the ultimate sin. What the CEO is probably afraid of is if the dividends or the growth rate for investors goes down or stagnant, they'll get fired, which to be fair, they probably have golden parachutes, so they'll be fine. Yeah. And it's like really frustrating because it's impossible to live in New York City or even like even like New Jersey, like Jersey City or um, in the tri-state area with like train stops uh, with like a forty five thousand like dollar annual salary. I'm pretty sure entry level doesn't even make that. (laughs) And it's just impossible unless you have family or spouse financial support. And it really sucks because publishing staff, uh, a lot of them are probably in student debt. Can you imagine living on a $45,000 annual salary, if not less, with student debt while living in New York because they require you to come into the office for some reason? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can't because I lived off of that when I first graduated college, but I was living at home in L.A. And even then, I knew like from my friends who did move to New York that that's not enough um, unless you're planning on sharing like your room with roommates, like not even have your own room in your apartment. Yeah. And editing and, you know, editing, publicity, marketing, sales. These are all skilled positions. Even if it's entry level, you still need a degree to get those jobs. You need internships. And of course, you need financial support in order to get those internships, usually. So a lot of it is skewed towards people who are... um, Privileged, right? Privileged. And right now, even that privilege is not enough to get a living wage. So that says something. And it's just another reminder that these publishing companies are corporations and the jobs of corporations is to protect their their stakeholders, i.e. their investors and not exactly like their mission, which is to, you know, publish books. Yeah. And it just makes me really sad that people think passion equals pay, you know, like fair pay saying, oh, well, you're doing what you love. So therefore you should just take whatever we give you. Yeah, And as, that is such a like that's yeah. not even just publishing. That is like every single creative field. And uh, it is you and I, so Rira, infuriating. Yeah. I mean, you and I Rira, have been the victims of this thinking, this way of thinking so as well. Many. Right. Like, sure. Like if you're really passionate about something, you're willing to do it for less, but you can only do that if you have other ways to support yourself. And for a lot of us, like the thing that we're passionate about won't be able to do that. Right. So it's, it's really easy to like, I feel like a lot of people in publishing are there because 
is something they want to do, right? Like they're passionate about books, about the power of books, of knowledge, of empathy to change the world. Um, I mean, I feel like given that they haven't been paid fairly, you wouldn't have that job unless you really believed in it. But at some point, you, you're also going to need to demand to be treated fairly. It's, yeah, and I feel like it's not fair to pressure your workers saying, well, if you don't do it, then someone less qualified will do your work and they're not going to care as much as um, diversity and education. So are you really going to let kids read subpar books because you're not getting a living wage? And it's like, really? You're, yeah, you're going to be using that right? against them? It's just corporate gaslighting. And the thing is, like, the people who do this job really do care. So that might actually work for a while. But I think it's really cool to see that even after almost a month that these these workers are still are still on the picket line and and in solidarity because it does show that everyone's in it together. Right. Like everyone's like everyone's at this point, everyone's all in. Um, it's been a month, like everyone's there because they really believe in it and because they believe in helping each other, right? If you're just one person, um, it's really easy to get stamped out. But when you you rise up as a group, it becomes much harder to ignore. And the longer it drags out, the more disruptive it gets. And you know, I hope that they do have the funds to keep supporting themselves um, as it drags out because like, you know, the work stoppage means they're not getting paid neither. So, you know, they're already underpaid and now they're putting their livelihoods on the line to, you know, stand up for their rights. But yeah, like HarperCollins Union, they do have a strike fund. So if you would like to donate, uh, you can find their link on Twitter, I believe. <clears throat> their Twitter handle is at HCP Union. And they should have a link tree to all of their um, all of their links. So they have their strike fund. They have ways that you could uh, support them, whether it's buying stuff at their shop or um, promoting on social media. They have graphics as well. Um, they also have reports and surveys. So it, so they have numbers on their side. It's not just like, hey, we're going on strike uh, because of these unclear reasons. No, they have hardcore numbers. Yeah. And it, it will show you why the strike is very important. And the fact is the money is there. It's not like, money is definitely yeah. there, you guys. Like the CEO got like the like, I feel like every CEO this past year got like a super high raise for themselves. And I'm like, really? You could probably distribute that and pay your staff like a a living wage, probably a comfortable living wage. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That is just, that's how, um, that's how our world works, right? That's how capitalism works. And I hope we find our way out of this hellhole. I know. We're, you and I ever become CEOs. We got to, we're, we're going to be better, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, 100%. I mean, like, listen, we've gotten emails and we've gotten DMs requesting how they can help our podcast. They've they've asked like, oh, I would like to intern or do you guys need help with transcription? And it's just, I am unwilling to get help unless I can pay like for that help. Because I've been burned before by <laughs> unpaid internships and by people uh, taking advantage of my passion for things. Um, it It's not fair. If I can't do it by myself, then... 
like why should I expect somebody else to do it for free? Yeah. So that is my mentality. <laughs> so um so yeah, I think um I think Rira and I have been working out ways to maybe, you know, maybe be able to do that at some point next year. So um stay tuned. Twenty twenty three. Might be the year um books and boba um grows a little. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Books and Boba Incorporated. Uh, I don't know. No, well. um, but a, <laughs> but a way that uh, people can support us uh, so that we can at least cover our hosting costs, uh, you can go to our bookshop.org affiliate page. We have a number of lists by genres, by uh, all of our author interviews and our book club picks. Um, we get 10% from our commissions and another 10% goes to independent bookstores all across America. So not only are you helping this podcast, but you're supporting local indie bookstores. All things that we love. Yeah. And we also have a shop for merch. Um, <laughs> we do not promote it enough, but yeah, <laughs> we I mean, we probably should have, we probably should have said something like a month ago because I feel like it's too late now to buy it as Christmas gifts. Um, but if you do oh, want to yeah, rock yeah. Um, some books and boba merch, we have sweatshirts, we have t-shirts, we have book bags. Um, I've seen a couple in the wild and it's always really weird to see other people wearing wearing our stuff but that's another way you can support us um and also represent at the same time um yeah and hopefully we'll have new designs soon to add to our store so for those of you who already own that books and boba swag maybe you can buy some more who knows <laughs> capitalism oh have we become <laughs> capitalism we've become everything we hate um, <laughs> Speaking of... We're a little bit better than what we hate. <laughs> I, I'd like to think a little bit better. A little, just a little bit. Um, speaking of the HarperCollins strike and Arf Kwong, um, Rira, what are we reading for the month of December? So we are reading RF Kwong's Babel, and we are actually splitting up the book for... December and January. So for the month of December, we are reading the first 12 chapters. So if you are planning to post your thoughts on our Goodreads forums, please use the spoiler tag, especially if you are reading past that 12th chapter mark. Um, and then for January, we're going to be reading the second half of the book. This is our first time on this show we're doing this format. Usually we just save our book talk for when we finish the book so it's gonna be interesting yeah i mean it's been it's been the reason why we haven't been doing extra long books for a while because uh we were and i you know we read a ton of books for this podcast for our author chats and for our book club and for a while reading books that are like over 400 pages have been like do we have time for this but I, I, it's I like too this. daunting. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a good way to split things up. And some of you have already been posting and are being really good with the spoilers. So I really appreciate that as well. As always, we love to include the thoughts of our listeners in our discussions. And we definitely appreciate everyone providing feedback for our discussions as well. Um, but yeah, on that note, that'll do it. I just, oh, oh I just want, I just want to like uh, chime in and say, wow, RF Kwong, like she is a HarperCollins author, by the way. She, she is a number one New York, New York Times bestselling author. And she is speaking at a rally right now. So that's like incredible. And also you can, 
you can yeah. say that <laughs> she definitely walks the walk and talks the talk because you know yeah definitely because yeah her her book is all about standing up to institutions and so i could definitely see her as someone who is for the unions i think i think i think yeah and it's really <laughs> yeah i mean accidentally i guess because we were actually very concerned because i didn't find out that Babel was a harper collins book until after we announced it and that was around the time HarperCollins went on strike. So it was like, oh, my God, do we have to change books? But then R.F. Kwong openly said she supports the union. So everything uh, worked out. Yeah. Um, also, it's really funny because R.F. Kwong's next book, her upcoming book, Yellow Face, is a satirical critique on how white the publishing world is. So... The fact that she is writing a book about how the publishing industry could do much better on diversity and uh, have a better working environment, really speaking her truth Finger right there. Finger on the pulse, R.F. Kong. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. And on that note, that'll do it for our final mid-month check-in for 2022. Um, thank you all so much for joining us. Um Similar to what Riva said, we don't do this enough, but if you have been enjoying our show and our discussions, um, please leave us a rating review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, it really does help us out, and it's always kind of affirming sometimes to see the nice things you say about our podcast. Uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. I mean, like Marvin and I, we're two people. We're not even in the same room. We're doing this remotely. <laughs> so really, we are alone when we are recording this podcast. And you know, it's sometimes it really feels like we're talking to a void. So it really helps to get feedback. And, um, you know, like, it really makes me happy whenever people participate in our book club discussions. So yeah. thank you very much to those who are participating. <laughs> and yeah, wishing everyone a happy holidays, happy new year. Um, this will probably be the last Books and Book episode for the year. Um, I'm pretty sure we're probably not going to record our first half of Babel until after the new year. Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right. I mean, it's a very busy season for, for all of us. So. so yeah, until then, thanks for reading with us and we'll see you in 2023. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Ryu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Sharon. Hey, Remen. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like 
two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. Modern Minorities.